This is Blockbuster Film School. This is Blockbuster Film School. It's time. You're here. It's the Blockbuster Film School. I am your overdressed, tuxedo-wearing, handsome boy, gym teacher of the Blockbuster Film School, Alex Bonner. And I am joined by your cool, casual, wearing a blazer with leather patches on the elbows. And you can call him by his first name, Mr. Nicholas Souter. Don't call me Mr. Blockbuster Film School. That was my father. <laughs> Just call me Nick. All right, Mr. Blockbuster Film School. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Do I get extra credit? You just if... failed today's lesson. <laughs> my grandma died for the third time this semester. Hey, everybody, you're here. You're at the Blockbuster Film School. You're back. It's time. It's fabulous. You've been waiting all week, and I'll tell you, we have a good episode for you. This week, we have chosen one of my favorite actors in the whole wide world, one of maybe the best actors of the last 20, 25 years. Understated elegance. Absolutely. Um, Miss Julianne Moore. She's amazing. If you don't know who Julianne Moore is, come on, bro. Uh, what's going on? Do, are you really at the Blockbuster Film School? Well, if you don't know, we're going to educate you. So that's going to happen. Nick, what was the first Julianne Moore movie you ever watched? That's a weird one. Because okay. Okay. Uh-oh. No, no, no. Here's the thing. Sure. She's in fucking everything. She is. She's, she's in, made so many movies. So she's, like, she's the Samuel L. Jackson. She is. Of she not truly being is. Samuel Jackson. And it's amazing they're in so few movies together. It's like, can we get Sam Jackson for this? No. Can we get Julianne Moore? Yeah. She just shows up. She's like, I'm here already. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh shit. Originally, they wanted Sam Jackson for the hours. He passed, and they're like, oh, well, we right. got Julianne Moore. Which is weird, because in Pulp Fiction, they wanted Julianne Moore. And yeah, and they got <laughs> him to play Jules. But, um, Look at the big brain on Brad. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but here's the thing. Since she's in everything, the first movies I probably saw her in, I know for sure I saw her in, were Benny and June and The Fugitive. Yeah. But Ruth. I didn't know who uh, Julianne Moore was. Right. So it probably was... Either Boogie Nights yeah. or Jurassic Park, The Lost World, <laughs> which I think we're both 97. Yes, yes. Very true. I also kind of remember her from nine months. She's on the poster whispering oh, yeah. into Carrie. What year um, is that from? That's 95. Oh, well, then it's nine uh, months. Yes. Well, but I <laughs> but I, I understand what you're saying, though. She was around so much. She was working so much, and you saw her in a lot of stuff, and she played – like, it's very, you know, misogynistic in Hollywood. There's a lot of, like, female leads who are just like, what are you doing, Hugh Grant? He's like, I'm up to my crazy things I'm up to. And that's, that movie upsets me to this day. Yeah, it's, there's only, there she is. fucking murdered him. There is one funny part where him and Tom Arnold try to stop a runaway SUV that I still, re- I looked at it again just to make sure that it was still funny. It is the only part of Nine Months that is funny, but it is. You know what I, part of that movie is mm, really not funny? Mm. When they go to see Mr. I guess I can't say anything. He's dead. But uh, they go to see <laughs> Mr. Hilarious. Bill Cosby. He's sadly <laughs> he's alive. dead to me. No. So the OBGYN is played by Robin Williams. Correct. And he's got some weird Russian accent, if I'm not mistaken. He's all like, oh, ha, ha, ha. Like, I'll only cr- do this if I could do some weird shit. They're like, whatever. Yeah. yeah, sure. Just show up and have hairy hands. So... <laughs> 
he gets the date wrong of the day the baby was conceived. And Hugh Grant stands up. He goes, I was out of town. It's someone else's baby. You cheated on me? And like, and then he goes, oh, sorry. I did the math wrong. And then he sits back down. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then she just like forgives him. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's another 90 minutes of that movie. You don't deserve Julianne Moore. No, you, you grant, don't. You, you grant. Shit. Also, how did you get here? <laughs> you British immigrant. All right. Sorry. That got that escalated quickly. Oh, okay. God. Listen, British people have been coming here trying to steal our tea, trying to make us like monarchy. For 200 plus years, okay? And we got to watch out because the king of England could come in here at any moment and make us like weird British comedies that run for one and a half seasons. Let me tell you, first of all, I like weird British comedies that last for one and a half seasons. I know you do. I'm on to you. Second of all. You're wearing a top hat right now. I am. And a monocle. (laughs) If the king of England somehow was to walk around Humble Park (laughs) by himself, this neighborhood's not that bad anymore, but I guarantee... Probably just be you. Somebody will throw some shit at him and he'd get hurt. Excuse me. Where, where am I? I'm looking for Chance the Trapper. Is that what he was? Is there an alligator on the loose? Yes. Well, it, she's definitely in our sort of 90s collective memory. She's yeah. around. She's been acting since the also, 80s. Also, I saw Tales of the Dark Side when that movie came out. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea it was her. We'll get into that. Let's go into a little bit of who Miss Julianne Moore is. So, Julianne Smith... Born December 3rd, 1960, in Fayetteville, or if you're from North Carolina, affectionately called Fayetteville, North Carolina, at Fort Bragg. I apologize, Fayetteville. Oh, shit. Hey, my phone, Fayetteville. Her father was an army officer. Her mother was from Scotland. And both of them were kind of teachers. Her dad was a teacher in the army. Her mother was a teacher. She grew up kind of as an army kid, they lived in North Carolina, but then they moved to Germany when she was a kid. She grew up a lot in Germany and didn't really do a lot of acting when she was a kid. She referred to herself as a good kid and just was a very good student and was very studious. She liked books, liked writing, but Germany has a better socialized art scene these days. And in high school, if you're kind of a fun person, they just rope you into doing things. And she ended up doing some acting and she ended up surprisingly, this may come as a surprise to you. She was very fucking good at it. And she was in a whole bunch of plays. And then after that, she decided to go back to the United States to go to Boston university. And she graduated with a BFA in theater in 1983, which is the year I was born. And then she decided because she's in New York. So was I. You, you were born in 1983. Yes. Well, thank Be- God you're paying attention. Right now. Before you, <laughs> uh, that's not true. That's look at my notes. I've been, uh, I've been watching you for a long time. She decided to change her name because there was already a Broadway actress named Julie Ann Smith, and her name was Julie Smith, and she felt weird about it. She didn't want to change her name. She literally has a quote where she says. There was already a Julie Smith, a Julianne Smith. There was everything. My father's middle name is Moore. My mother's name is Anne. So I just slammed the Anne onto the Julie. That way I could use both of their names and not hurt anyone's feelings. But it's horrible to change your name. It had been Julie Smith my whole life, and I didn't want to change it. <laughs> Which I feel like is interesting just a little bit of her where she already kind of has this reticence. There's this thing where she... Even in her characters, she'll make hard choices, but she has this kind of vulnerability. She doesn't want to do it. So she was in New York City. She works as a theater actress. She works in a lot of off-Broadway things. 
she's on a soap opera called The Edge of Night. Nick, did you ever watch The Edge of Night? No. No. Hell no. Jesus Christ. But she ends up joining the cast of As the World Turns. I don't remember this, but I remember that soap opera. I watched her reel for that show mm. in preparation for this. Ooh, was it good? Um, <laughs> it's good for soap opera acting. Yeah. Here's my only beef with her is that her, like, what is it? The end of the affair and mm-hmm. this, her English accent's a little like high pitched. Right. And in this program, she played twins. Yeah. So one of them <laughs> was American. An and, evil twin. And wore her hair down. Okay. The other one was English that mm. they found. Oh. So she spoke with a British accent, her hair behind her ears and straight, and then a bunch of like dark blush on her cheeks to make her face look smaller. British people love blush. They do. And then I watched this. I watched all 28 minutes of it. It is mind numbing. <laughs> it is some of the, and it's also like the most apologetic English person stereotype where the twin fools her fiance into fucking her. <laughs> and then it's like, I have to go back. I'm a horrible person. You should hate me. You should all hate me. I'm so lonely and in love with Brutus or whatever his fucking name is. <laughs> and then like, she storms off and Julianne Moore's yelling at Julianne Moore. Don't you ever come back or whatever the shit it was. <laughs> it's super soap opery. It's dumb, but like, but it would look really good. Like if you're at a laundromat watching it with the sound off, if I was at a laundromat. It'd be the greatest fucking thing ever. <laughs> And let's face it, those dual characters of Franny and Sabrina Hughes. They, Hashtag Team Franny. Sabrina's team, a dick. Sabrina, always, always. Yeah. Or a witch. And she ends up getting a Daytime Emmy Award in 1988 for the dual roles. So she gets an Emmy Award. She's been acting for five years in New York. She gets an Emmy Award. A Daytime Emmy. Okay. Let's let's not get ahead of yeah. ourselves. Why here. did you tell that this is Susan Lucci? <laughs> Listen, at a certain point with Susan Lucci, it just became like a joke. Yeah. It was like a <laughs> She's literally the reverse male streep. <laughs> it was like Lucy with the football. Like, yeah, yeah kick it. <laughs> so she wins that. She's in a CBS miniseries. She's on a bunch of, you know, TVs. She's a big time TV actress. But Then she ends up in a couple of weird TV movies, none of which I've seen. And I tried to look for some of them. Several of them don't even have Wikipedia pages, such as my personal favorite. There's a movie in 1989 called Money, Power, Murder, which will be the name of super producer Brian Tepps' autobiography. (laughs) And... There's Do not a- tease me. That better be serious. <laughs> As opposed to Alex Bonner's one, which would be called I Am a Garbage, the Alex Bonner story. And <laughs> My autobiography is called I Wish I Knew What This Reminded Me Of. <laughs> so um, in 1990... Moore made her cinematic debut as a mummy's victim in Tales from the Dark Side, which I vaguely remember. Do you remember this movie? I remember this movie just because I remember the name. Mm-hmm. And then I looked up her death sequence. Yes. Just to see it. And it's literally as cool and as fucking dumb it's as I so, remember. I rem- it's so dumb. I remember renting it from Blockbuster Video because it was ridiculous. And I remember, I, you know what's weird is when I say the first time I saw her to you, it's like the first time you recognize her. Like she'd been around so long yeah. that you just didn't process 
who she was initially. You know, like when you watch goofy horror movies, you're like, you don't realize that it's PJ Souls in Halloween oh, until I way. I not when I first watched it. I didn't register that it was Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis until like I actually started to process my brain because I saw Halloween when I was like seven or eight years old and was just like, this movie's cool. And then later I was like, oh shit, it has these people in it? it has Donald Pleasance in it? <laughs> Which you do a great Donald Pleasance, by the way. I want to tell you that. I want you to know that. You had the darkest eyes. You had the devil's eyes. <laughs> hey, Ronnie, get your ass. Out. That's not Donald Pleasance at all. Like, yeah. <laughs> but Nick is taking his shirt off while he says it, which is what Donald Pleasance would do. He's a method actor, and Donald Pleasance always required that he took his shirt off for every scene. Tales from the Dark Side, a low-budget horror that she referred to as terrible. <laughs> Quote, unquote, terrible. It is terrible. It is terrible. But then, literally, her next movie is The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. And I don't know if you guys know this, but in the late 80s, early 90s, there was an actress named Rebecca DeMornay, and she was a big deal. She was in Risky Business. She was in a lot of stuff. She was an awesome late 80s actress. She was Sharon Stone before Sharon Stone appeared. It is a movie about a vengeful, psychopathic nanny out to destroy a naive woman and steal her family. She plays a smaller character in it. But it's got that, like in the late 80s, all the way to the mid 90s, sexual, weird, thriller, killer, women, idiot dudes, the virginal mother versus the whore of Babylon woman who's come to kill everyone and is mad. It's so dumb. It's so 90s. But Heather Rock's Cradle was like, it came out. It was just a huge success. And have you seen the Heather Rock's Cradle? Of course. <laughs> As a child, I was a child in the 90s. Yes. And we had Showtime. Absolutely. So I just remember, like, did they kill the husband in that? Mm-hmm. Did they stab him in the eye? Mm-hmm. Is that real? Mm-hmm. The movie and they is cut so his fu- dick off. And no. they're like, yeah. And then they put it, and they attach to his face with a staple gun. And they're like, what's up, dick face? And then they like, <laughs> that's the last thing movie. Down the hallway. <laughs> Listen, I don't drink alcohol. I believe... And Joseph Smith and whatever the hell's going on with that and Mormonism. I don't know. Anyways, I do I, people give their two weeks notice at a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you can't quit. You signed in blood anyway. So I will say this. Was so it I, my blood. I also definitely same thing. I vaguely remember it, but yeah, I don't think also, it's spoiler alert. The mm, husband dies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, Rebecca DeMorte goes crazy <laughs> and murders a bunch of people, but it's a big hit. It's a big hit. Critics notice her in it. This is when she starts to really kind of, she plays the main character's ill-fated friend. It was the number one at the U.S. box office. More caught the attention of a whole bunch of critics. And then she was in The Gun and Betty Lou's Handbag, which I do like a lot. It's a good movie. It is really fun. The Gun and Betty Lou's Handbag is this crime story directed by Alan Moyle. Penelope Ann Miller, I know for people who are like younger than us and younger, probably people who are baby boomers are like, what are you talking about? Yeah. It's a lot of older people and her. And it's this wild comedy that's, you know, about a librarian in New Orleans who decides that she's going to like become a crime kingpin, (laughs) but it's a comedy. And she ends up having to like go to jail on a, a technicality And it's kind of one of these stories about characters who unlock 
something inside of themselves that they never knew they had. And I think that's something that Julianne Moore has always been fucking rad at is that she's always been this sort of actress who, interestingly enough, can play twins very differently, but is also one of these characters who at the beginning of the movie can become very, very different by the end of the movie, can become these very dynamic sort of characters. And that's sort of the first one you see her in that. Um, also, there's nothing more 90s than a cast feeling that includes William Forsythe and Alfred Woodard. Because <laughs> those two people should not be in the same films together. For the people born in the 90s, those are names that are just nonsense. We could just make up any names and be like, these are old actors. Haven't you seen Bill Wilsonson or Thomas Fluckton-Tow? Like, these are just nonsense How names. How dare you talk about... I don't <laughs> fucking Chad remember. Peppermint? <laughs> Chad Peppermint was really good in the substitute. <laughs> that three was, he with, was um, actually he was with the guy from Goonies who was Sean Astin. <laughs> Sean Astin, by the way, he's playing the Colonel right now in KFC. It's amazing. Rudy two, Rudy two. Now he's Colonel Sanders. Is I refuse to watch that. I'm, I, I'm I hate so, Sean Astin. I, I love Sean Astin. I hate commercials, but Rudy two. He's got an eyebrow from Taps. Now he's Colonel Sanders. I absolutely love Sean Astin. Sean Astin, you're welcome on the show anytime. Apparently, Sean Essen is super cool. One time he recorded a birthday message to a friend of mine because someone asked him to do it randomly. At a, he's at a bar and they were like, can you say hi to our friend? It's her birthday. And someone has a camera and he's like, I just want you to know that you're the most beautiful woman in the entire world. And if you weren't born, the world would be destroyed. <laughs> just like saying nonsense. I love Sean Essen. So the gun and Betty Lou's handbag, not a hit. A bomb. What does it got on Rotten Tomatoes? 14. Ooh, higher than nothing but trouble. <laughs> that's not saying anything. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But she keeps getting roles, though. People notice her, though, in these movies, right? And then she's in a movie in 1993, the erotic thriller, Body of Evidence. Do you get it, Nick? Body. I don't get it. Of evidence. Body I don't... of evidence. Do you get it? Can you do like a diagram? It's about sex with Madonna and Willem Dafoe. Oh, yeah. And his, his penis. <laughs> you see him hang on. The plot, it's a Dino De Laurentiis movie. It was in the era where we didn't quite have free pornography on the internet. So any titillation that was possible in movie theaters was a big deal. And Dino didn't give a shit. And he made he body- didn't direct it. No, but he produced it. He's Dino De Laurentiis. He'd never directed a dick. Um, but he was a big time producer. We'll do a Dino De Laurentiis episode at some point. That guy <laughs> made so much crazy shit. He gave David Lynch a career. Let's just put it this way: like he was not an unskilled he producer. Gave John Carpenter's career. Uh, he, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, he literally just registered what was kind of hot. He was like, it doesn't matter if it's artsy or weird, as long as it's hot. Dino was into it. And I appreciate that about Dino De Laurentiis. I think I wish we had somebody like that running around these days. Also, the plot of Body of Evidence is that there is a possibility that a woman, Madonna, killed somebody during sex by how hot it was. This is not a joke. And then Willem Dafoe is her defense lawyer who says, that's impossible. How can her sex be so hot that it's murder? And guess what? He has sex with her. Yeah. <laughs> that's... That's the plot of a movie that came out in theaters and it had an NC-17 rating and people still went to see it a little bit. I know my mom had a VHS copy of it. I watched it on USA. Let me tell you, there was a lot missing. It only (laughs) went for an hour. (laughs) 
<laughs> I remember watching the VHS copy, which was the R-rated cut as a kid, and I was thinking, oh man, this is going to be hot. This is going to be cool. I'm like, you know how like when you're a kid and you get to see something that you're not supposed to watch? And I watched it, and it's a lot of Willem Dafoe with his shirt off. So as a kid, I was kind of like, ooh, <laughs> sad trumpet noise. <laughs> there was a lot. I was like, oh man. And But Julianne Moore is in it, and she keeps getting roles Kind of a bigger success. She's Ruthie, the side main character in Benny and June. You brought that up. Um, yeah. I love Benny and June. Do you like Benny and June? I do. I really um, do. Do you want to hear a uh, true story about that? Nicholas, of course I want to hear your true so, story about that. So do you remember my friend Sam from the South Side? Uh, Vaguely? Yes. Okay. When she was a kid, she had cancer. And it was so bad, she got to make a wish. So her make a wish was to go meet Johnny Depp. That's a pretty good one. It was pretty good. So they went and they met Johnny Depp and they went to his house. He had a bottle of wine. He was his mouth. His teeth are all stained red. He had the last quaaludes on earth. <laughs> and they hung out and he had so much fun. He's like, hey, I want you and your family to come to dinner tomorrow. It's on me. It'll be great. But also he said. He also said it won't be rapey like Michael Jackson. And they're like, what does that mean? <laughs> so he. He's glossing over the comment. He. Also said that his character's name was something else in the movie. And that he changed his character's name to Sam for Samantha. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. He might have. Isn't that crazy? I, I, and honestly, I like Depp a lot and I was just giving him shit. He has a tattoo that says wino forever. So making a wine joke about him is not really that crazy. I also saw his band in LA a couple of times. At the Viper Room. But Benny and June, I like that story, Nick. That warms my heart. Yeah. If I had one. I have this feeling. What is what are these feelings I'm feeling, Brian? What are these? Emotions? What the fuck is happening to me? Um <laughs> My heart's a fake fireplace. What's this water coming out of my eyes? Am I dying? Anyway, but Benny and June is kind of like if you've never seen Benny and June, it's still really good. It's still really weird. It's a romantic comedy from the grunge era that is, there were once these bands that were kind of side grunge, right? There was these bands like Blind Melon and stuff that had these cool, weird- That's Sam's favorite band, by the way. I'm just saying, there are these weird side things that were this side element. Everyone just automatically associates 90s music with Kurt Cobain and with Soundgarden. But there were other bands, and there was another side of sort of grunge 90s culture that involved like wearing a bowler hat and- being the weird girl who's covered in paint all the time. And that if you could do weird sort of Buster Keaton tricks, that's how you'd get to that girl's heart. And it's lovely. I loved it a lot. I watched it recently and still kind of dug the shit out of Benny and June. And she's awesome. In it. She's Ruthie. She's literally she's really good. Yeah. She's really kind of the comic relief. She's amazing. Like with those two clowns, she's still kind of running around being the weirdo. Also, she is a doctor in a movie where you do, an amazing, an amazing impression. It is a movie called The Fugitive. And it stars Harrison Ford, in which a man with one arm, a disabled man, frames him for murder. And Yeah, this movie really hates the disabled. <laughs> and Nick does a great impression of Tommy Lee Jones. And I'm setting you up. What is your Tommy Lee Jones impression? I was uh, unprepared for this. All right. Okay. Do you want me to do Harrison Ford to give you the line? No, it's okay. I okay. mean, do you want to? <laughs> yes. All right, go ahead. 
try and kill my wife. I don't care. <laughs> and then is the funniest stunt in the history of the nineties yeah. where they throw a dummy. Clearly dummy. <laughs> off of a waterfall. <laughs> the sweater moves more than the body. You switch the samples. You switch the samples. That's my Harrison Ford. Also from the fugitive. She's a doctor at it. Also, a good friend of my mom was an actual doctor, and they filmed that movie in Chicago. I believe Did they? I believe at Rush, where she worked, and Julianne Moore came over to her, and she was going to be an extra just because people who worked there. But Julianne Moore was like, aren't you like an actual, like, you know, ER doctor? And she's like, I'm the head of the ER doctors. And she's like, okay, so look at these lines. Are these stupid? And she was like, yes. And so basically my mom's friend sort of nice. re- rewrote that. She was like, you'd say this instead of this. You'd say this instead of this. And then Julianne Moore liked her so much. She was like, look, when the thing happens where you come in, you're like next to me also. And if I say something dumb, you say the actual thing that you would say. So my mom's friend, Diane, is actually in the movie. And she had a funny story about how all the like everybody, like men and women were like told the AD was like, don't speak to Harrison Ford. Do not make eye contact with him. You say over here by the extras table, the craft table. And Harrison Ford came over with his earring in and started eating like cookies at their table. And they were like, it's Harrison Ford. And then Harrison Ford like walked over and he's like eating a cookie. He's like, what are we whispering about? <laughs> my mom's friend Diane was like, we're not supposed to talk to you. And he's like, who told you that? She was like, one of the ADs said we're not supposed to talk to you. He's like, that's bullshit. You can talk to me. And then it turns out they both went to Maine East. So they both went to the same high school in fucking Park Ridge. <laughs> Anyways, uh, side tangent. But this is kind of the last time that she's just sort of Julianne Moore because after she becomes Julianne Moore, Julianne Moore and Robert Altman, which we'll do an amazing Robert Altman episode, possibly a two parter at some point. If you don't know who Robert Altman is, fire up. (laughs) Nicholas doesn't know who he is. He is a white man who had success in America. Um, Shocker. (laughs) No, he's an amazing film director. He is more influential secretly than I would say 99% of the directors we talk about Robert Altman directed an amazing amount of, I'm not even going to try and go into it, but Robert Altman saw her in a theater production, theater production of uncle Vanya liked her so much that he put her in shortcuts, which is Robert Altman used to do this thing where he would kind of direct really kind of straightforward movies, but then he would do these movies that were vignettes that were all connected together, like Nashville and, he made shortcuts and it's all based on these Raymond Carver, Raymond Carver short stories. So he liked her so much in shortcuts. Have you seen shortcuts? I saw shortcuts once. I'm sure you get at this point, start doing a fucking super cut of me saying on encore when I was younger. Fair enough. Dude, honestly in this era though, a little bit. And as much as I like shortcuts, I've only ever seen it once. Yeah. It affected me. I remember pieces of it, but there's an element with Robert Altman's films a little bit. I will say this. My only kind of critique of Robert Altman, he's kind of has that thing that I would say Arnofsky has a little bit and certain people who have these really visceral, dramatic movies that kind of punch you in the gut real hard. It's hard to watch them over and over again. And it doesn't have the forever watchability of like a PT or a Fincher or a Catherine Bigelow or a... Kubrick, where even though these movies have punch to them, even though they have drama, even though they have action, even though they have horror, there's still a sort of, 
I don't know what to call it, a Hollywood crystallization that sort of allows you to love these movies and just sort of watch them as pieces. And that's something why I think Robert Altman is not necessarily always thrown into that big echelon of the top directors because his stuff is so good, but it's also very dramatic and very powerful. It's got that Mike Nichols kind of, you better watch your fucking ass because if you watch a Robert Altman movie at the wrong moment, you'll cry and it'll fuck with you. Yeah, Robert and, Altman movies are like taking mushrooms and you're in a bad mental mm, spot. It real, but sometimes it's great. Even like ones you don't think, like The Player. Like if you've yeah. never seen The Player, it's amazing. Nashville. But there's so many good Robert Altman. Like I said, yeah, I didn't just, do all the research on Robert Altman and there's so much you need to do. But Shortcuts is good. It's an L.A. story. It's really cool. Julianne Moore's in it. She's great in it. She's in Three Women. Like I said, we'll do more of a Robert Altman thing. But if you haven't seen Julianne Moore and Robert Altman's movies, I highly recommend them. She keeps winning, nominated for Golden Globes. These nominate her for Independent Spirit Awards. These nominate her for, she's now. It's like her breakout role. Yes, yes. And it's also kind of Altman's return to form. It's both back to back with her and with it. And it really sort of blows up. In 1994, she keeps working with Altman. And she keeps working with Altman Disciples. And she ends up making, eventually, though, a low-budget movie with Todd Haynes called Safe. Have you ever seen Safe? No, but I heard a lot about it. Yeah. The whole premise freaks me the hell out. I know. I will say this, though. I only bring it up because, and I remember watching it, and it's way more crazy in 90s, but it is about a housewife who starts to deteriorate under the stress of environmental illnesses and seeks hope from like new age practitioners and all this kind of stuff. And this character of the every woman who is a housewife who starts to like lose it and get weird may come back. She might play that character again, Nick. I don't know. I don't know if she ever plays that character again. You're talking about still Alice. I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm talking about all the ones she, no, she I know. with the exception of Boogie Nights, which we'll get into all the movies she got nominated for an Oscar for were about her being a housewife who had to deal with some crazy ass shit that changed her and made her nuts in very yeah. different ways. I've seen all of these movies. And I remember nothing from them. Mm-hmm. Roommates definitely saw that. Definitely saw it. I remember her in it. Yeah. Don't remember anything else. Her hair looked really good. I remember that. Yeah, really shiny. Awesome. Yeah. She has great ginger hair. Nine months. Mm. What we talked about. No, I remember. I will toss one little thing. Like I said, I think Tom Arnold is funny. I think he saved a couple of movies in the 90s. I think he's underrated. And also her and Tom Arnold have a couple of scenes in nine months that are fucking hilarious. I will give her this credit. She really proved some comedic chops in nine months. Nine months is not something to really fully pass over. It's a dumb 90s comedy, but it is a hit. It is a big, stupid hit. And her as a comedic actress, you know, something she hadn't really been doing. And her as kind of the straight man. She's pretty funny in The Fugitive. Yeah, the part where she's the ER doctor. He saved his life. <laughs> I laugh every time. Hilarious. But just wanted to toss that out there yeah. a little bit. Nine months has some funny shit in it. It's a dumb Hugh Grant it's 90s. really dumb. It's really um, dumb, but man, some of it is funny. Insulting to her character the whole movie, though. To be fair, also, Apatow said that Knocked Up, he got the idea from watching that movie and being like, this almost works. This almost fucking works. And then he was like, I think I, if I just work this around a little bit, it's funny. And if I you, you watch them back to back, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> like the comedic beats are there. And here's the thing. Yeah. I hate Seth Rogen in Knocked Up. He is a 
giant asshole. So is Hugh Grant in? They're both assholes. I don't like those movies. But that's but he has to change. He has to be an asshole. He has to be the guy who's not ready to be a dad. He has to be in order for that arc to work. Just saying. I understand. Yeah, and he's good at it. He's the best man. Rogan's the best. He really is. He can pull off shit that nobody else can pull off. You have to admit that. Uh, he's like a he's like a hilarious Sasquatch teddy bear man who came to life. I like him. Yeah, I'll go with that. Um, <laughs> let's go back to Julianne Moore. Hot take. Assassins. Oh, Antonio hell. Banderas hell and yeah. Sylvester Stallone. I don't remember this movie. No, other than them shooting a soccer ball that kids were playing. Now, do you do you I remember her in that? Now, do you know why Assassins is important though? The Wachowski stated that the script was totally rewritten by Heldegard, and True. they tried to remove their names from the film, but failed. True, but the Wachowskis did write it. And this is the Wachowskis getting their foot in the door, and Richard Donner. And the Wachowskis and Richard Donner don't seem like they would mesh. Like, I mean, I don't think they did. <laughs> they did not. They did not. But if Assassins is not made, if Julianne Moore and Antonio Banderas don't save that movie— then the Wachowskis probably don't get a meeting with Joel Silver. You probably don't get the Matrix. It's one of those ones where it's like- Well, they made Bound after that. So. I know, but it's really the success of Assassins that keeps getting them meetings with big people, though. Like, Assassins is a little bit of a surprise hit. It's not a huge hit, but it makes more money than it was probably supposed to, and she's pretty fucking dope at it. Also, Assassins is kind of dope. I know the Wachowskis were like, it's not what we wanted, which I get. Like, there wasn't enough Hot Topic outfits, but- and I love the Wachowskis, you know this, but mm-hmm. it's kind of dope. Like, I think the, reminds, the bones of their story are there. It reminds me of a better version of Blown Away. Yes, and a dumber version of Sicario. It doesn't remind me of Sicario at all. Really? Yes. I mean, there's a little bit of beats of like, these. Assass- you don't know who's the assassins. Like, they're, they're up to something. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> this is a super 90s dumb. Yes. This is how assassins act. <laughs> And Stallone's over I there. I just mean it in Stallone like Stallone is so huge. How is he not noticeable to anybody? Uh, Antonio Banderas uh, is greatness. Uh, Julianne Moore is great. I'm just saying but like, that I'm an assassin not, and you don't know. Sometimes you got to assassin. All right. <laughs> so you're saying Assassins is your favorite movie of the Julianne Moore movies. So <laughs> you could just do that thing from like Hollywood where you just could use my voice and type in the things. Cool. Just register this. Even though the critics said Assassin's yeah. was trash, they were like, Assassin's is trash. It is garbage, right? It is kind of in that moment. It's 1995, and this is happening. This is beginning to happen. To be fair, Ebert gave it thumbs up, okay? Ebert said thumbs up to Assassin's, but a lot of people panned it. It made $80 million worldwide on like a fucking like $10 million budget, which I understand is not what's going to happen like a year later with Independence Day where it made $800 million but I just mean that this is the first time that a Julianne Moore movie made like up in the past the $70 million. Like her movies were all critical successes. Her movies were all, you know. What are you talking about? I'm just saying Assassins is important because she'd had some successes before movies she'd been in that had made money. They'd been a little bit of successes, critical successes. But Nine months made $140 million. Yeah, okay, you're right. But I'm just saying they're back-to-back. She filmed them at the same time, and they came out, and they're like, bang, bang. Like, And she's one of the leads, and it's not just critics taking notice of her anymore. Hollywood's like, this is a bankable movie star, and we should put her in shit. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. What's the next one? Surviving Picasso. 
Now that's that movie about Picasso murdering everybody, right? Pretty much. Yeah. It's a slasher <laughs> film starring Anthony Hopkins. I'm going to turn you all into cubes. Cubism. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely saw it. Don't remember it at all. Don't remember it at all. Um, I'm going to skip over the big blockbuster yeah. movie for one second. Yeah. And go with The Myth of Fingerprints, which is directed by her husband. Ooh. Co-starring at the Noah time. Wiley. Oh. From Err. From Remember that show Err? I remember Err. It was, Ur. It was set in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> that is George Clooney in it, right? George Clooney and the guy Anthony Rappaport. Goose from Top Gun. There's a joke in fucking Top Gun where he's like, He's looking at the fucking awards on the wall. He goes, yeah. guys, Goose is spelled with two O's. So there's somebody's name out there whose last name is Gose. <laughs> you do realize, I don't know. Someone was making an argument with me the other day. Were people saying, I got the need, the need for speed before that movie came out? Or was literally that just something that Tony Scott's coke-addled mind came up with? And his... The cheesiest but easiest to remember line from any movie that's ever been fucking made. <laughs> I don't have to think about that. I got the need. The need for speed. And then fucking Tom Cruise cut up some lines of fucking amphetamines and snorted them and took his dick out. That's what happened in that movie, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, she she wasn't a blockbuster, though, right? If you will, on the blockbuster film. Real school. fast. Uh-huh. One more. Uh-huh. One more. Uh-huh. Do it. Have you seen Chicago Cab, a.k.a. Hell Cab? This is going to upset some of my Chicago people. I've never seen Chicago Cab. This is okay. the first one we've, to be fair, this is the first, like, true Julianne Moore movie that is not a fucking TV movie that I have not seen. I have seen all of these other movies. This is a... Movie set in Chicago, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. Fucking Cusack's in it. He produced it. It's about a it. cab. It's about a cab driver. It takes place in one day. Okay. Michael Ironside, Lori Metcalf, John C. Riley, Gillian Anderson. Okay, I'm liking Cusack this. Cusack and Julianne Moore. It is. How have I not seen this? I don't know. My dad showed me this. He loved this movie. He's all about Chicago movies. It's super weird. Cusack plays a character that could basically be in Assassins. Well, at Cusack. Cusack's cool. At the same time, around the same time, he made Gross Point Blank, which is yeah. one of my favorite assassin movies. Truly. True. And also an underrated fucking kind of action drama. We'll, we'll do our Cusack episode, and that'll be fucking dope. We should do the Cusack episode and just call it the Cusack episode and do him and Joan. The two of them. Like, I love Joan. I know. I'm just saying, like, do the Cusack episode <laughs> and do both of them. That won't get confusing at all. They should both get their own episode. They deserve it. But what was that blockbuster you were talking about? Ugh. <laughs> the Lost World, Jurassic Park. Oh, I'm Vince Vaughn. I got a fucking RV that hunts dinosaurs. Now, let me ask you a question. As someone who loves both... Now, I get why Julianne Moore made it, right? Because Jurassic Park, at the time, made... This is not a joke. A billion dollars. It made a billion dollars... It was the highest grossing movie of all time when it came out. It was directed by a guy named Stefan Spielberg, right? I believe so, something like that. And it was a big old dinosaur hit. Clever girl. The Raptors. And you get to watch Laura Dern eat ice cream and talk to Richard Attenborough. And honestly... As I get older, my favorite scene from Jurassic Park is the scene where Lauren Turner eats ice cream and talks to fucking Richard Attenborough. 
the flea circus, mommy. Look at them. Look at the fleas. And you realize that he's a con man and that all of this was bullshit and that they're not actually dinosaurs. They just made genetic monsters that look like dinosaurs. And it was supposed to be a fucking thing to trick people, but it turned out to be, it is so good. It's so preposterously good. It's better than Crichton's but book. We're not, anyway, I know. We're not talking However, about However. We're not talking about a good movie right now. However, I can see why Julianne Moore watched the ice cream scene with Laura Dern and was like, dude, I could do that. Instead, she gets to be chased by CGI monsters. While I assume Jeff Goldblum's like, listen, I'm underwater on like three mortgages. I got to pay this off. So I got to do this. I, uh, I thought that fly money would be around forever. <laughs> No, but also there's a part in that movie where she's just like sitting in like a like a little part of a hill mm-hmm. and Vince Vaughn is taking photos and she goes, hey, dipshit. And she says his name. I'm just going to call him a dipshit. And he gets so scared he drops his camera. Like you're on a fucking island yeah. with dinosaurs and someone says your name and that scares you. Yeah. How, also, your whole job is cameras. Hold on. What cameraman drops the camera? Where's your fucking strap? Like every good cameraman I've ever met, like would be scared and fall off a cliff and like, you'd find their dead body, like still clutching the camera. Like it's my entire job. Um, but yeah. So I don't know if you guys know this, but lost world Jurassic park two, it won best picture. It was across the board. You know, what's frightening though. It did make money. I went to see it in the theater. So did I. It had that trail. It's a sequel to fucking Jurassic park. I have always wondered this though. I know this is a side subject of, but they must have a picture of, I assume, Steven Spielberg trying to push his own penis under his taint and into his own asshole or something in order to blackmail him so that he would then direct Jurassic Park 2. Like, Universal was like, you listen to me, you son of a bitch. You direct Jurassic Park 2. Or we'll cut one of your fucking fingers off like the Yakuza. And they held his hand down. <laughs> He's like, no, no. And I'm just saying Steven Spielberg directed the second Jurassic Park movie. He doesn't direct all winners. But back then, though, they were never that bad. They were never that bad. Everyone's phoning it in. Everyone's phoning it in. Everyone. Saving Private Ryan is after, like, Amistad. <laughs> like, he almost said to himself, holy shit, what have I done? What have I done? And then charged up Spielberg powers like Dragon Ball Z. You know why he directed that? hmm. Because that is the end of his contract with Universal. He had a three-picture deal. Right. He did Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, and then he didn't make a movie. He didn't have another movie come out for four years. Agreed. And and after that, he didn't go back to Universal. Universal still releases a lot of Amblin and a lot of DreamWorks. That was the end of his like straight up contract. He made DreamWorks after that. He said to himself, no, fuck this. I'm making my own production company. You can distribute it if you want, but I make my own movies. I'm Steven Spielberg. I'm my own boy. I'm my own boy, dad. I'm leaving here as soon as I turn 18. I assume he shouted. And they said, Steven, you're like 40 fucking years old, man. Calm down. However, what's the next Julianne Moore movie, though? Because it's kind of it's a, a movie. I, I don't even know how to pronounce. Buhi. Bougie. Bougie. Najits. Let's not even dick around, dude. This it's is fucking Boogie Nights. It's Boogie Nights. And I will say this. Even though I recognized her, even though I remember her in movies, I remember her in Evolution. We didn't bring that up. That comes out later, actually. I know. Oh, it does, doesn't it? But that's the one, though, man. That's obviously it's PT. 
It's kind of the mega breakout hit for PT, but it's also the mega breakout hit for her. She's Amber Waves. She is mind-blowingly good in it. All those things I was talking about, about her being these very complex characters who shift and change as things happen to them. She has vulnerability, but also toughness, intelligence, but also naivety. All of these things that she's able to capture, like moment by moment, this very motherly sort of character, but who can also be very tough and sort of biting in the things that she says. Her and Boogie Nights, what's wild is when I first watch it, obviously for me as a hornball, as a child, the first things that kind of popped out at me were, you know, Heather Graham getting naked and having sex with Mark Wahlberg. And I absolutely love PT. I absolutely love Boogie Nights. It changed my brain. It made me think different things about what cinema could be. Exactly what he's saying. He's talking about a genre of film that everyone had discounted as even existing as a genre of film. And he's not doing it as exploitation. He's doing it as a crisp, amazing masterwork of cinema art. And she's the lead, really. Like, you think it's Mark Wahlberg, but it's not. It's Amber Waves. The story follows Mark Wahlberg, but in a way, she's kind of the protagonist. And when I saw that movie, not only did she kind of blow my mind, but it's an interesting movie where when you watch it when you're younger, you get something out of it. And then when you watch it when you're older, you get something out of it. I can't even watch the end of the second act and the third act anymore because it resonates so hard with me. It's so frightening and devastating to watch people who had such a good time in their naive art form that they were in that was so dangerous and they didn't even register it, be destroyed or torn apart or eaten by it. And her ability to capture all of it and express these wildly insane emotions in it is amazing. And the idea that she's out acting all of these other amazing fucking actors, it's going to stick in my mind forever. It will stick in my mind forever. Her is Amber Waves. I don't know. I just, I know you have Boogie Nights thoughts, but I just had to say yeah. that I, that was the first time where I truly said to me, said to me, said to myself that Julianne Moore, she's the shit, dude. She's fucking crushing it. She is amazing. Who is this person? I had seen her in other stuff, but this is rad. And I didn't even say anything creepy about how hot she is naked. There we go. Sorry. Oh, you saved it for the end, though. <laughs> I did. Boogie Nights is kind of a perfect movie, in mm-hmm. my opinion. I still watch it all the way to the end. I randomly have thoughts about the scene where her and Heather Graham are just doing all that fucking blow. Can I call you mom? Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, mama. <laughs> it is so fucking intense. Every beat, every part of this movie is insane. Yes. Like you said, they have a lot of fun. The moment William H. Macy's with little Billy... Little Bill, mm-hmm. the moment Little Bill decides he's not going to be in the movie anymore. Oof. Oof. Also. Oh, my God. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but Julianne Moore, just like. Running that movie. Yeah. There is a vulnerability to her. Yes. In that movie that you don't see that at all anywhere. Yeah. No. Like, she is just vulnerable the whole movie. But, but also sort of weirdly powerful and intelligent. Yeah, she is because she like, she can hook people in with her vulnerability. And that is her like 
her fucking superhero power. Yes. And she connects with people on levels that nobody else can. There's all this, like, she's out there doing all this stuff, but really all she wants is just fucking intimacy. Yeah. And this, all the scenes where she's like, any type of intimacy with anybody, those are all the memorable scenes. And there's those the, are fucking devastating and ones. And there's all these, this weird mystery about her past yeah. and who she is. And all that stuff with her son. And then she obviously has some sort of level of darkness where she ran away from something and, oh. PT. It is multi-layered to the point where every time you watch it, there's like you peel something else back. PT said that every time he would film her, he called her exhilarating. This I and it's kind of true. Yeah. Just that it the second she comes on screen in the movie, it just you're just oh shit. Something amazing is happening. And Spoiler alert. I don't know about you, but it's going on my blockbuster film school wall. That's happening. Fucking, oh, yeah. If you haven't seen Boogie Nights, it's kind of the first one where I'm telling you, you're a moron. You don't have to be a moron forever, but you currently are. So you can change your moron card over to not moron. Watch Boogie Nights. She gets nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She gets the Oscar nod. She gets... She gets nominated at the Golden Globes, the Screen Actors Guilds. She has several critic groups where she's a winner. And after this, she follows it with what movie? Super producer Brian Tufts, do you know? Mm -hmm. You do. Nicholas, do you want me to tell you? She plays somebody who wants the little conception. That is true. She plays Maud Lebowski in The Big Lebowski. She goes from working with P.T. to the Coen Brothers. Back to back to... Not only hits, but continual cult hits. Things that will stick with us. Like, you're out of your league, Donnie. People will be saying this. They won't even know what they're saying. People don't like the Eagles because Jeff Bridges said that he didn't like the Eagles. And there's a bunch of people who've never even heard the Eagles who don't like the fucking Eagles because the dude doesn't like the Eagles. I don't like the Eagles because the dude doesn't like the Eagles. (laughs) But also, in all fairness, Mm -hmm. I also stopped listening to Credence after this movie came Mm out. Also, it has one of the part. There is a part in the Big Lebowski. I'm spoiling a little bit where the dude comes to Maude Lebowski's loft where she mm-hmm. is a famous artist and she calls her friend on the phone while she's talking to him and starts laughing. And just her laughing makes you want to start laughing. And it's the weirdest, most Coen Brothers thing I've ever seen. Does she ever work with the Coen Brothers again? I. I don't think so. I don't think so, but man, man, does she do her best. Her After that, they had to give all the parts to Frances McDormand. Well, because she got married to one of them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and uh, makes it a little weird at the house if you're not giving. I'm a, your wife. I read a great interview once where they were talking to them at the same time. It's like, what's it like to direct uh, Frances in so many things? And the one that's not married to her goes, She's a handful. And then the, the other brother just like did a slow turn and gave him like a really fucking mean eye yeah. and then turned back and just looked at the reporter and goes, she's delightful. <laughs> oh, man. God damn, are the Coen brothers fucking good. I will say Boogie Nights is transcendently good. It breaks all boundaries. It explodes onto the scene. It changes everything. It changes the landscape of Hollywood. The Big Lebowski is one of the best neo-noirs ever. It is crazy and fun and insane, but I could also understand if you don't really like neo-noirs, you don't really like any of the... I could see the people who sort of don't enjoy that movie. They're, I don't enjoy them, but I get, I don't get it, no. 
Big Lebowski is also. There's crazy dream sequences. There's a part where where John Goodman has ash in his mouth. I mean, it's crazy. And our boy is in it, Mr. Steve Buscemi. And her and Steve Buscemi try to steal the movie. They're not even the main characters. They haven't even seen together. <laughs> they don't. But Maude Lebowski... Forever with the Viking outfit in the dream sequence. I'm spoiling just a touch, but her and the Big Lebowski. So back to back, she makes these, and now she's Julianne Moore. She is A-list megastar Julianne Moore. She gets back together with Robert Altman. They make Cookie's Fortune. Have you ever seen Cookie's Fortune? I like that movie. I do, too. Yeah, it's it's, it's nice. It's pleasant. It's low-key. Occasionally, Altman will do that. Occasionally, he'll just be like, here's this movie I made. Charles S. Dutton. I love Charles S. Dutton. It's a fun, it's a fun, weird movie. I do recommend it, but it kind of gets lost because then she makes the end of the affair. Then I am going over. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> evolution. Nope, the still Dave, not yet. Still not, oh yeah, because it's, oh, I just have to get to it because for some reason, I kind of liked Evolution as, as a teenager and- I watched Evolution a couple years ago. I still kind of like it. I still kind of like it. I like her. It's, it's I like to call me- but like the chemistry of the actors work and they're all very charming. The Orlando that, Jones, RIP yeah. his career. What the fuck? Fuck. The only part of that movie that is kind of cringy is that you have this very talented, beautiful actor playing a super well-renowned scientist. Yes. But because she is a beautiful actor, they have to give her something where she's not perfect so that she could be smart. Yes. And that is that she is a clumsy asshole. So she literally, yeah, she literally goes to shake David the company's hand and she just eats shit. She just falls right into the desert. I always wonder though, of whether or not that's the producers doing that or if that's Julianne. Is this Reitman? Or Julianne Moore being like, I'm funny. I got comic beats, you know, I, She's funny. She was. She, she is. She was great on Thirty Rock. She had a fucking oh, cameo well, in Ladies Man. She her, can be funny without doing pratfalls. That is fair. That does feel like an Ivan Reitman thing, though, where he's yeah. like, "Worst case scenario, just fall through a table." Yeah. I don't know. We gotta get some laughs in here. Come yeah. on. Let's do- <laughs> I feel like the person who decided to have her do that also decided that at the end of this movie needed some Ackroyd. Well, but also I will agree. I like Reitman enough that he definitely has at least proved himself to be like a guy who, when he's directing a movie and it's not funny, he knows it's not funny and he's just trying, try, okay, we got to try something. We have to try something. This isn't funny. I don't know. Uh, when you try to shake his hand, you fall over. I don't know. We got to try some shit. This shit's not funny. So, but the end of the affair, have you seen the end of the affair? I haven't only because. Because you hate Rafe Fines. That's actually what I was going to say. <laughs> no. It's based on a Graham Greene no, novel. That's literally what I was going to say. It's based on a Graham Greene novel. I like Graham Greene, but his books, I don't know if you guys know this, are depressing at the end. They're kind of like thrillery. They've got spies. They got weird shit. They're oftentimes neo-noirs or full noirs, but like those, they end bad. The characters go down. Things are not good, but... She plays this adulterous wife, but it's a little more than that. She plays this wife who's refines is involved in this crazy weird shit in Britain. It's a depressing weird movie, but it lands her her first best actress nod. I don't even remember that movie. You remember that movie at all? I didn't see it because I hate Ralph Fiennes. <laughs> Fair I was enough. Really serious. Fair. And to be fair. I don't really care. Uh, I honestly about that. Like honestly, no. that movie. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Okay. It's right. also it's one of those movies where she has her 
high-pitched British accent. Yes, doing her. She does do a little bit. She, when she gets into a high flute and acting. Yeah. I'm a theater actress. Yeah, she does that a little bit. But then she comes back and she makes her fifth movie of 1999, um, where she is a morphine-addicted wife in Magnolia. She comes back with P.T., Part written specifically for her. Yes. It's PT, I would say PT's darkest movie. Without a doubt. It's about his dad dying. Yeah. It's uh, and then Jason Robards died. Uh, exactly. And there's amazing performances in it. Everybody's acting their ass off, though. PT's pulling darkness out of everybody. Her, Cruz, Philip Seymour Hoff. I mean, it's a uh, John C. Riley. There's fucking awesome shit in it. But Magnolia of PT's movies is kind of the one where like it's got that thing like great dramas where I remember almost every scene, but I don't want to watch that movie again. This is definitely the movie I've watched the least out of his films. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen it like five times. You can feel the pain. Yeah. You can, you can feel it. It, it emanates inside of you and blah, and that's great, but it's not a movie I like to watch it's before I go to fucking bed. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. But she's amazing in it. She's amazing. Everybody's at, like I said, every Robarts and Cruz and her, and they're just crushing it. I'm forgetting people because 900 million people are in it. It's a sort of weird vignette movie, a la PT kind of taking something from Robert Altman and making a vignette movie about LA that all ties together in the end. It's an amazing movie, but, and she's amazing in it. She gets nominated for a bunch of things, not an Oscar. She has a cameo in a movie called The Ladies' Man. <laughs> Where she's awesome. In that yeah. cameo. If you haven't seen the ladies' man of bad SNL movies, I put it at the top of the bad SNL movies, in my opinion. Like, there's great ones. There's obviously Wayne's World and, um, is that it? That's the list. Wayne's World. Yeah. Great SNL character movies. Oh, there's one. I'll suck your dick. I'll do it. If you haven't seen McGruber, I got to toss McGruber out there. Um, McGruber is pretty. It's not great, but it's up there with the ladies, man. It's Superstar is dumb, but it's also funny. I don't know. There's some late 90s stuff that's funny, but it's not Wayne's World. Did you like the ladies, man? Yeah. Yeah. So, however, she then works with, we're skipping a little bit, but she works with Ridley Scott. She follows up Silence of the Lambs as Clarice, as Clarice Starling in Hannibal. And <laughs> Hannibal is insane. Yes. It's Ridley Scott. It's incredibly watchable, but there's a part where Ray Liotta eats his own brain. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> and Anthony Hopkins is just literally just eating scenery, just walking over to pieces of scenery and just putting them in his mouth and being like, do you like this, Clarice? I saw it in the theaters. <laughs> I saw that. And I did too. Yeah, I saw that and Red Dragon in theaters. Oh, and you sit through. Oh, that I didn't do. Uh, I, didn't, <laughs> but, I don't learn. So you sit through. <laughs> Fucking an hour and 45 minutes of this movie just staring. And then you watch Ray Liotta go chantix and he eats his fucking brain. Like, oh, all right, cool. You're funny. You're funny. <laughs> you're, you're funny. You're a funny guy. But she makes the science fiction classic comedy. We're at it finally. Evolution. <laughs> if you've never seen Evolution... I don't know. Congratulations. Your life's better than ours. Congratulations. She's in the shipping news. Yeah. So is Kevin Spacey. So is Kevin Spacey. Judy Dench. Kate Blanchett. A bunch of people. I think that movie was one of the first movies she was in called Oscar Bait. The shipping news. 
parenthesis, Oscar bait. Have you seen the shipping news? Nope. It's weird. It's about New England. She gets to showcase her New England accent, which she is awesome at, though. We'll get it. That 30 Rock yeah, fucking. Yeah, she yeah. is rad at her fucking Boston accent. I just remember that being on the actual Blockbuster wall when I worked there. Oh, I know. It was there forever, and I would always see yeah. it and say to myself, I should watch this. I should watch this. And then I eventually did watch it on HBO. And all I remember is her doing a Boston accent and being like, God, you're so hot. Why are you so hot? How does that make sense? It doesn't make any sense. Um, 2002 is big. Huge. She gets nominated two Academy Awards in the same year. How many of those did she win? Zero. But rare air. Rare air to ever have that happen. No, Nobody gets this. Nobody gets two in the same year. That's like Jack Nicholson bullshit. So Far From Heaven, which is uh, one of the most boring movies I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> I didn't make 20 minutes. <laughs> it's... It literally, she, guess what? Plays a housewife where weird shit happens to her. She then gets crazy. Things go weird. They set it like a 1950s melodrama. There's a bunch of terrible 1950s Hollywood music. I literally lost my mind while I watched it. She is an amazing actress. Everybody's acting their ass off. That movie sucks. I'm sorry. There we go. I said it. I said it. However, she's in the hours in that same year. And I like the hours. I like Nicole Kidman's fake nose. I like Ed Harris. But it's another movie where the level of sadness in that movie. It's never ending. It is never ending. It is viscerally epic. I can remember the part where Julianne Moore has to watch fucking Ed Harris die. Spoiler alert. And that fucked with me. And then immediately after it, you have to watch fucking goddamn Nicole Kidman put rocks in her pockets and walk into a river. And I literally... Couldn't handle it. I saw it in the theater by myself. It was my senior year of high school. I was already a weird poetry writing, like going to movies by myself kid. And I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it. It messed with me so bad. But I do think, and I maybe, I might be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure I walked out of the hours. And then I felt so weird and I was going to pay for it. But I then walked in and just didn't pay for it and watched the night show of the gangs of New York and immediately felt way better. And fucking, who is it? St. Michael. What do he do? He casts the devil out of paradise. If I thought it was you, you'd already be wearing a wooden coat. But this is her big year. She's nominated for every award that you could possibly win. Peter Travers calls her the best actress of her generation. Even if she's not winning the award, she's nominated for every fucking award that you could possibly be nominated for. And then she's Julianne Moore. I, I will say this, though. She's in a lot of stuff after this, like a lot of stuff. And we're going to kind of flip around and go around through some of this. Did you see Laws of Attraction? No. With I, always, I, always, I always confuse that with Rules of Attraction. Right. Rule, <laughs> which I've seen. Yes. Which has Dawson from Dawson's Creek getting weird, which I would recommend. Yeah. The next one that comes to me, though, is, and this is a couple years later, because she she makes tons of movies. And I'm sure there's a bunch of people who are like, oh, you, what, how could you not bring up the prize winner of Defiance or, or the prize winner of Defiance, Ohio? Excuse me, because I don't care. And 2006, she's in Alfonso Cuaron's Children of Men. And we talked about this on our dystopia episode. Children of Men is unstoppably good. Yeah. It's something else. It's incredibly impressive. And she also plays a very different character. You get to watch her be badass, 
which is something you really haven't seen fully. I don't want to spoil anything about that movie, but do you have any thoughts on Children of Men? Children of Men is a perfect movie. Start to finish. She's amazing in this. Her and Clive Owen have this really interesting chemistry where it's like you can tell they hate each other for what they lost, but they still love each other. She fucks with him like because he's in that fucking bombing in the beginning. And then she's like, you hear that ringing? That's the tone dying. You're never going to hear that tone again. Mm. Also, when I first saw it, because it came out in 2006, so I was 23 years old, and what I processed in my head almost immediately was that the way this takes place, kind of differently where it's like certain movies that are future movies, they take place too soon, right, to really have an effect, or they take place far in the future. This movie takes place like 20 years in the future. And the dystopia really resonates because if you're 23 and watching it in the theater, Clive Owen is like 43 and it's 20 years in the future and he's you and this is happening and this is what's going to happen to you. And there it is. There's your girlfriend. There's your wife from when you were young and now she's a fucking quote unquote either terrorist or freedom fighter and you're still a yuppie you know, slug who doesn't want to be, who used to be like her. But now she can trust you because you're still kind of honorable in this world of darkness. It affected me in a way that I still think of. When Clive Owen hits that guy with the cinder block, like he does the move where the vicious commando is coming after. He realizes what's going on and he blocks the door so the guy gets kind of stuck and he just grabs the cinder block and hits him in the head. And you see it and you just watch the guy kind of die and Clive Owen watches him die and... The whole time in this action movie, Clive Owen has just tried to save this pregnant girl and hasn't done anything, but he's forced at this one moment to do violence and he does it and you just walk and he just has to, to save the, to save humanity. It's the most crazy shit. Anyway, then she, in 2007, follows it up with a great movie called Next, where you get to watch Nicolas Cage's hair take the fuck over. Become a meme. Ooh, baby. I think he smokes in that movie 4,000 cigarettes, which I appreciate. It's also a really great Philip K. Dick short story that has nothing to do with that movie. The only thing that's the same is that the character is a guy who lives in Las Vegas in the future. He is a magician, but he's not a magician. All he can do is tell the future like five seconds into the future. So he just uses that as a trick. And then when people come after him, they still can't catch him because he knows what's going to happen five seconds of the future. So no one can catch him. And it's just a short story. They come after him and he escapes all the time because like if the cops are going to grab you here, he just goes there. It just it's the craziest thing ever. But Nicolas Cage and her are turning into some wild ass shit. She is in a single man with Colin Firth. Have you seen that? I saw it in theaters. What do you think? I really like that movie. Interesting. Yeah, it's really good. She's amazing in it. She's she's tragically in love with her gay best friend. I know. I know. Yeah, and it was directed by fucking Tom Ford, mm-hmm. the fashion guy. Mm-hmm. It's a really good fucking movie. Everybody's dressed dope in that movie. Of course. He Hell made yeah. all the fucking clothes, too. <laughs> I want to go back to I'm Not There, mm. which, you know, it's not a great movie, but there's a riff on that No Direction Home movie that fucking Scorsese made where the only person to perform in that whole fucking thing while they're doing the interviews is Joan Baez. <laughs> I... Have a very specific hate for Joan Baez. Oh. I don't fucking care. 
Send your emails. I'm, I'll read them all. I'm more of a Joni Mitchell guy myself. Yeah. I mean, come honest. on. She's yeah. amazing. Yeah. She started smoking, so her voice would be different. Yeah, I that's did. fucking, that's that's some shit right there. Yeah. Joan Baez sucks. But <laughs> there is a scene in this, I'm not there, where <laughs> Julianne Moore is playing a character based on Joan Baez, and she just busts out her acoustic guitar and starts playing it upright and just. And I saw this in theaters at the Landmark, and I laughed so hard, I got shushed. <laughs> Dude. I thought I was going to piss my fucking pants. It was the greatest thing in the world to me. And I will say this. It's like the scene that I brought up in Big Lebowski. Sometimes Julianne Moore will just bust something out that is beyond any comedic person I've ever seen. It is sometimes if Julianne Moore wants to just issue laughter into people it is unstoppable it is insane how good she is it just you know what i'm gonna do in this scene i'm gonna make it funny i don't give a fuck fuck you guys like you don't know what you're doing and it's fucking dope as shit after that after 18 years she returns to television to play nancy donovan on 30 rock and is in this character arc where she's this on and off again love interest power top to jack donahue's power bottom and she has an amazing Boston accent. Her and Tina Fey, like I said, she is an amazing comedic actress. I don't think she gets as much play doing it because she's so good at drama that people use her in that. But she gets to finally be funny as fuck. If you haven't seen the Nancy Donovan arc in 30 Rock, you better. She makes a lot of movies in the 2000 teens. Uh, the next kind of big one that happens, though, her and Annette Bening make a movie that's called The Kids Are All Right which also is a really funny comedy drama about a lesbian couple with teenage children who are trying to find a sperm donor and Lisa Cholodenko who made like Laurel Canyon and high art, high art also, man, a fucking dope it's ass, a, movie. It's a fucking dope ass movie. Lisa Cholodenko, another one that I would kind of like to do, you know, something about, she's really rad. Cholodenko, even in an interview talked about how she picked Julianne Moore because she felt that she is the most elite actress at comedy and drama, like being able to alternate back and forth just at, at whim, just fucking be funny, be dramatic, be vulnerable. It's, and I agree with her. I can't think of anyone who is better to tell you the truth, but it gets her, her sixth golden globe nomination, her like 900th BAFTA nomination, but they nominate betting for the Oscar over mm -hmm, her mm -hmm, mm -hmm. bullshit. Mm-hmm. Oscars is politics. So like we've nominated no, her 900 yeah, times. I know. Um, she's in crazy, stupid love, which is your favorite movie with Steve Carell. Um, uh, that movie's starred by Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. Thank you. That is true. It made $147 million. You joking? Not at all. Jess Rose and I were super sick. Yeah. All fucked up on a, um, Homemade remedy I had made that was called, <laughs> called weed. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> it was called holy shit. I think I'm fucking dying. Mm. It was a combination of orange juice, spice rum, and a couple of shots of NyQuil. <laughs> Before we drank that that day, we went and rented that and some other dumb movie. And that movie is awful. It is awful. atrocious. It's trash. It's absolute it's, trash. I love a lot of those people. I love Steve Carell. I love fucking Brian Gosling. I love her. I the just, whole cast. But it's it's dog shit. It is a cash grab, eat, pray, love, put it out there, suburban moms. Here is a movie for you. She 
apparently on the set of 30 Rock, her and Tina Fey used to do a competition of, they would basically talk to each other in Sarah Palin's voice. They both (laughs) were like amazing Sarah Palin impersonators. And that led to, supposedly led to the HBO film Game Change, a dramatization of Sarah Palin's 2008 campaign to become vice president. And she plays Sarah Palin. And dare I say, she plays the, maybe the greatest version of Sarah Palin. I doubt. If you've never seen that, it is worth watching. It's nonsense. But she's making a lot of indie movies that get a lot of recognition, but are kind of all over the place. I think the next one that really pops up, she's in Joseph Gordon-Levitt's directorial debut, which has Don John, which I really dug and kind of gets buried now in the Joseph Gordon-Levitt lore. But Don John is dope. It really is. And she's cool in it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I saw it at the time. I, I don't know. I've never seen it. Really? Yeah, I don't care. No, really? Yeah. Oh, man. Scarlett Johansson and her. And it's these very different characters for everybody. Everybody's playing sort of these wild, I don't know how to put it, just sort of strange suburban versions of each other. It feels kind of, to me, it felt more like Saturday Night Fever or something where you're like, caught in this weird world that you don't live in, but is extremely real, extremely real of sort of suburban New Jersey. And, oh man, I dig Don John. I'm sorry. And she's really doping it. But yeah, she keeps making, honestly, this stuff, dude, she's in the remake of Carrie. She's, you know, kind of in San Francisco Chronicle. Keeps just crushing, just crushing. She's in David Cronenberg's Map to the Stars. Love that movie. I love that movie. And truly going back a little bit to her being really sexy and using her sex appeal and her vulnerability and her toughness to make something weird and working with David Cronenberg, which she'd never done before. And later to David Cronenberg is hit or miss, but man, map to the stars is a hit. In my opinion, it is a complete hit. And part of this is because how fucking dark her character is because spoiler alert, she wins a part that she loses because the other actress's son dies and then she comes out of her house mm. and starts singing a song to Mia Wachowski about like, na na, hey, hey, gone. Yeah. Singing about a fucking kid dying, Dude. celebrating because she won the part. Yes. She's like grotesque and gaudy and ruthless and just has this, at this point, she's truly amorous. So she has a sense of sort of how Hollywood works. And Cronenberg is like, I want you to accentuate all of these things that you understand inherently about what it is to be weird actors in Hollywood. And it's a character that you've never seen from Julianne Moore. No. <laughs> it's awesome. She's seeing ghosts. She's fucking deeply disturbed. Right. But like. She, for a lot of our audience who are born in the 90s, returns in The Hunger Games. And is Alma Coin the leader of the rebellion against the capital and is getting that money. Get that money, 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 make money, make money. She covers herself in money at one point and they're like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm Julianne Moore. And they're like, no, don't break character. She's like, just rubbing cash all over herself. Like, fuck you guys. <laughs> and she has gold chains. Then she makes a movie where she finally wins. She finally wins the movie actor award that we all covet. 
the movie that will make you not a peasant anymore, but a real human. She wins the Oscar for Best Actress for Still Alice, your favorite movie. My God, I hate that movie. <laughs> to be fair, so, I'm sorry. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. It's amazing she won I know. the award because if we're going to go back to the logic of mm-hmm. Tropic Thunder, you never go full retard. Mm-hmm. She does not do anything that resembles early Alzheimer's. No. She just like, at the end of it, she's just like, like it's, it's insane. It literally like... I appreciate how big an actress she is. I appreciate how talented an actress she is, but that movie is Oscar bait. Yeah. It's just Oscar Pure Oscar bait, and bait. it won. It's sad. Also, it's ridiculous. It's overly dramatic. It's nonsense. Her husband is played by Alec Baldwin. This is the <laughs> shittiest sequel to 30 Rock I've ever seen. <laughs> Canteen boy, rub my chest here. It's warm. It'll keep you warm and safe. Um, so, yeah, she has an Oscar. She wins, to be fair, she finally wins the Oscar. She deserves an Oscar. Not like, for what she should have won it for, but she wins the goddamn yeah. Oscar. And they basically, like, dicaprio her. Although, DiCaprio had to sit on a mountain in freezing cold for, like, a year. No, I know. And at least DiCaprio's movie is maybe not his best movie, but it, he had to earn that shit. <laughs> This is all I want to say. There's a story about on the set of Marathon Man where before they could do the take, Dustin Hoffman had a jog in place so he'd be out of breath. So Lawrence Olivier was just sitting there and he goes, it's called acting, my darling. (laughs) I think I've told this story. Probably. (laughs) Stealing it back. That's fine. I love that story. I love this story. What did you try? Acting. Yeah. (laughs) I like your version of my darling. Yeah. (laughs) More insulting. It is. I probably said that. Uh, he's like smoking a cigarette while fucking Dustin Hoff is running in <laughs> place for half an hour. So she's in a lot of stuff. She's with Ellen Page in Free Held. Not seen that. I've never heard of that. She's in Maggie's Plan with your girl, Greta Gerwig and Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Have you seen that movie? No, it looked terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's in Vanity Fair, which I did like. It's very pompous and weird, but I did like it. Uh, Hunger Games. Get that cash. She shows up, she's like, get that cash! And she has a gun that shoots cash all everybody else. And then after they pick it up, she's like, now give it back. Yeah. Now give me that cash back. I am in charge. And <laughs> she's in Suburbicon, written by the Coen brothers and directed by George Clooney. I don't know how I feel about Suburbicon. It's nuts. It's completely insane. Never seen it. Really? You've never seen Suburbicon? Man, no, okay. I don't like Matt Damon. Matt Damon. You like some Matt Damon movies. Maybe. You I'm like not copping to it this episode. You like some of those Oceans movies. Those are Soderbergh movies, <laughs> all right? It's totally different. How you like them apples? Apples but. suck. <laughs> I'm all about nectarines. Um, so, I don't know. I kind of like Suburbicon. It's crazy. I know we're kind of flipping ahead because she's making 900 movies. I know. She's making 900 movies a year. She doesn't stop. She does not stop. She makes The Kingsman, The Secret Service, The Golden Circle with Colin Firth again, and Halle Berry. She's just making these fucking crazy-ass movies. Eventually, we come to where we are now, where personally the last couple of movies she's made, I have not watched. I'm just going to say that. I didn't see Lisa's story. I didn't know that was a movie. Uh, the Woman in the Window. That sounds like nonsense. I don't know. That's That comes out next year, by the way. I'm just saying. The Glorious, A Life on the Road. What? Look, I think it's time 
I think it's time. I think we've reached it. You know what it's time for. <laughs> um, it's time for the Blockbuster Film School Wall. <laughs> You've been waiting for it. Let's do this. Let's rock this out. Okay, let's do, what do you want to do? Four? What do you think? Four? Let's do four. Let's Let's do do four. I think that's that's fair. It's bad luck in China, but we're doing four. It's good luck in masonry. So If I've learned anything this week. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, this this doesn't come out. Anyways, never mind. I was going to try to upset China. There's a lot of bad luck in China. Free Hong Kong. (coughs) Screw you, (coughs) LeBron. Anyway. um, Free Hong Kong. Okay, so you want to go first? What's your number four? I want to hate myself and say evolution, but I can't. Do it. Ah! It's not evolution. I'm gonna go with the kids are all right. That's it is dope. Yeah. I really like that movie. Like it's when very- she fucking unbuttons Ruffalo's pants and sees the dong and just freaks out. It's hilarious. Ruffalo, Ruffalo in that movie, the Hulk in that movie, yeah. is so good. Ruffalo also another guy when we do his episode about his ability to be dramatic and comedic and just like back and forth and this crazy shit. It's unstoppable. I like that because you know what my number four is? It's evolution. <laughs> and it's Ivan Reitman trying so hard to create Ghostbusters with her and Duchovny and Orlando Jones. And Shout out to Ted Levine. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I love you, Ted Levine. And it's unstoppably watchable. When you flip that movie on, you watch it. It's on. And you watch the whole damn stupid movie. I'm sorry. It's that good. And she's so good at it. And I know she does a lot of dumb comedic beats, but it's fun to watch her be slapstick. I don't think there's another movie where she's slapstick, and I like it. What's your three? You know what? I'm just going to go for it. I'm going with a single man. Ooh, I She like is. It. I know. Devastating in that. Yes. Yes. Again, vulnerability. Yes. Truly. Like, she just, she's at home, and she just calls her neighbor, and they talk, and... She goes over there, and then she goes back. She calls him again. It's like, fuck. And there's an element of that drama that's not as punishing as some of the other stuff. It's, yeah. You can, her and Colin Firth absolutely have this weird chemistry that's really cool and really cool to watch, and I agree with you. My three is tough. I'm going to say Map to the Stars. Map to the Stars... Obviously, I'm more of a 80s, 90s Cronenberg guy, but man, a couple of his later ones is... I don't... I think he's made like a truly bad movie. No, he's never made a truly bad movie, but some of the later ones are kind of like some of the early ones where he's trying different stuff and he's pulling away from the grotesque Cronenberg stuff and making human grotesque stuff. And man, I'd love to see her and Cronenberg work again together. They really have this weird connection, and his way of directing things is so strange and odd, and she just fits in perfectly. That's I'm going to put that as my three. What's your two? Maps of the Stars. Mm. Well? Just her fucking yelling. Her having that weird therapy yoga shit with John oh Cusack. Oh, my God. Is so creepy. Oh my god, it's so creepy. There's so my much god, and she pulls it off so good. And then you're like, and she lures you in with all this weird sex appeal. She yeah. has this kind of siren effect where you're like, I'm gonna watch this because Julianne Moore might do some weird sex she does, stuff. Yeah, she gets <laughs> she makes our pad banger in the back of the car while yes. burn victims watching. <laughs> it's true. Sorry, Mia. <laughs> We're on a first name basis now. My two is Jeffrey. He is thorough. He is good and thorough. I love The Big Lebowski, 
And she is truly one of my favorite parts of The Big Lebowski. If she's not in The Big Lebowski, I don't know if that movie works. I don't know if it works in the same way. The fact that she appears, she is the femme fatale, and she doesn't even appear until the second act. A nice twist from the Coens in a writing sense, amazingly powerful. And that Lebowski's in love with her, and then there's this open-ended thing, and the idea of love, and what is it, and what the fuck is going on, and that she saves him in the end, switching the femme fatale thing on his head. I dig her so much in that, and it's so different than her other roles, and the Big Lebowski is badass. What is your number one? Boogie Nights. Can't be anything else. <sighs> I it is unforgettable. It is. It really is. I can see her in my mind. I can see her. Just amber waves crashing amber wave. on the shore oh, all over me. Truly, truly. It's okay, baby. It's okay. Yeah. Oh, man. So, so good. I'm only going to do a different one just because I love Boogie Nights and it probably be my one, but I'm going to put Children of Men there just because I love that fucking movie and it's unstoppable. And I think the same thing, once again, it is a neo-noir and she is the femme fatale in it, but also a twist on the femme fatale. I'm not going to spoil anything about it, but... Because of that twist. It didn't wind up on my mm-hmm. wall just because it doesn't feel like a Julianne Moore movie. Correct. It also came out 13 years ago, so I'm not going to spoil it. If you haven't seen it, she dies. Um, but <laughs> she dies. Fucking there's a hot dog eating contest and she eats too many hot dogs. And a bullet goes through her neck. <laughs> and she... She tried to eat all those hot dogs, but she died just like Kobayashi died eating all those hot dogs. Um, all right, team. I think that's blockbuster film school. I think we did it. I love Julianne Moore. Do you like Julianne Moore? I'm in love with Julianne Moore. Absolutely. Super producer Brian Tepps, do you like Julianne Moore? He's giving the thumbs up. This has been Blockbuster Film School. If you like it, if you're enjoying it, if you're learning something, if you're doing something, please subscribe on Apple, on Stitcher, on Spotify. It's dumb. I know we're begging, but man, it helps a lot. It really does. Give us a five-star review if you want. Write a dumb review talking about how dope it is. It's dope. Please, we love you guys. Thank you for listening. I'm at Bonzo with three N's on Instagram. Nick is Sleepy Menthol at Sleepy Menthol on Instagram. Yeah. I'm changing it to Joan Baez sucks that after this episode <laughs> comes out. So cut look- that out. Cut that out. Oh, cut it out. Also, please follow um, Blockbuster Film School on Instagram. Check us out. And we love you guys. Make sure to drive your car real, real fast. Take chances, do drugs, do whatever the fuck you want. Society's collapsing, but come back next week. We're going to have a really nice episode, and we'll teach you something here at the Blockbuster Film School.